As Kyle said, we're going to wrap up our study through the little book of Haggai today. So join me in that little book once again, the book of Haggai. If you have your Bible uh, or the Bible app on your phone, uh, join me there. We're going to be in chapter 2, chapter 2, verses 20 through 23 today as we conclude this series. As you're turning there, um, a couple weeks ago on a Thursday evening, I stood outside one of the local high schools here, Turpin High School, with about, I don't know how many, several hundred students, staff, parents, community leaders, um, people from the community. And we stood outside Turpin High School um, because we wanted to pray. And the purpose for our prayer was for the school and for the students because a few weeks ago, two high school students took their own lives eight days apart from each other. It just really has rocked this, this local community um, in, a, in a lot of ways. And so we stood there in, in times of silence, times of prayer. And I don't know about you, but when those things happen, when you're part of those things, or maybe just even in your own life, when difficult times come. And, and I have a friend, too, who uh, I just found this out a, a week or so ago, um, who had stage four cancer. God miraculously healed him, but now he just got word that the cancer's returned. What do you do in that moment? Right? I mean, in, the, in those moments when the darkness seems so thick, the fog is just so thick that you just can't find the light from the lighthouse. What do you what do you do in those moments and when, when the darkness of culture, when the difficulty of life, the disappointment, the depression, the discouragement? You know, and, and also, I, I mean, I've heard already this year of, of two pastors that took their own lives. You know, and, and you just watch the news. You, you hear all this stuff. I even look at the sin in my own life that I still struggle with, right? And, and, and you read about... Churches now in China, I don't know if you saw this in the news, but now they're shutting down churches. The government is, house churches even, they're finding them out. There's the slaughter of Christians in Nigeria. And the pastor, Pastor Isaiah, he's from Nigeria, so this is his homeland. I mean, we read all this stuff, we see all this stuff, and honestly, sometimes I wonder, God, who's winning? Who's winning this battle versus good and evil? Right? I mean, those are honest questions sometimes I ask myself when I think about. And, and when you put your head on your pillow at night and the discouragement starts to come and all those different questions start to come and, and you wonder, where's the hope? Is there hope? If you've ever been in that place, then you're going to understand a lot of how Zerubbabel felt during the time when God spoke through his prophet Haggai. Because for us to understand a little bit about this man, Zerubbabel, and, and why he would ask that question, we need, we need to remember that the book of Haggai is really about God's people returning to God's city, their hometown, the city of Jerusalem, after being slaves for 70 years. And God says, I want to send you back. I'm sending you back to my city. And when you're there, I want you to rebuild this temple. Why? 
God wants them to rebuild the temple because God's heart, as we've learned, is to always be with his people. God loves to be with his people. And having that physical temple is a visible representation of God's heart. God's heart is to dwell among us, to be with us. And so God says, I want you to go back to the city. And when you get there, I want you to rebuild this temple. So about 50,000 people, Jews or so, uh, about 50,000 or so, return from Babylon, where they've been slaves for 70 years. They come back to Jerusalem, and now they're given this job to rebuild this temple. And the man leading this project and leading these people, his name is Zerubbabel. Now, who's Zerubbabel? Good question. Well, he is a descendant of King David. And remember David and Goliath, that's the king we're talking about. So Zerubbabel is a descendant of King David. That's the good news. The bad news is he's the grandson of King Jehoiakim, all right, or King Jehoiachin, however you want to pronounce it. That's the bad news. Now, why is this bad news? To find that answer, go with me to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 22. Should have had you turn, your, turn there first. Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 24 through 30. And I share this because I think this is important for us to understand when it comes to the final message that God is going to give here in this little book of Haggai. So Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 24 through 30. God is speaking and he says, As I live, declares the Lord, though Coniah, or that's um, King Jehoiakim, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet ring on my right hand. So if this king, King Jehoiakim, right, if he, this is Zerubbabel's grandpa. This is, what, this is what the Lord is saying about Zerubbabel's grandpa. He's saying, if he were the signet ring on my right hand, that's a ring of authority. If, if he were a ring on my right hand, I would tear you off, he says. This is God speaking. And I would give you into the hand of those who seek your life into the hand of those whom you are afraid, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. I will hurl you and the mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you shall die. But to the land to which they will long to return, they shall not return. Is this man, Coniah, a despised, broken pot, a vessel no one cares for? Why are he and his children hurled and cast into a land that they do not know? O land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not succeed in his days, for none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. Those are strong words coming from the God of the universe. I mean, strong words of judgment, disappointment, and he's basically saying this king, Zerubbabel's grandfather, was such a bad king, such a horrible king in the sense that he led God's people away from God. And God is saying, if you were like a ring of authority on my hand, I would pull you off never to put you on my hand again. And it was during this king's reign, King Joachim's reign, that Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came and invaded Jerusalem and took God's people as slaves back to Babylon. So it was during his reign that all that happened. And God says, listen, it's, it's so bad that if you were this ring, I would, I would tear you off and never, never put you on again. Now, if you're God's people hearing that, you're going, where's, 
what are we to do? No king. We don't have a leader. God, are you removing your promise? That, that promise that you made to King David that there would always be a king from the family tree of David on the throne? Are you, are you removing that promise? So all these questions, I think, are probably going through God's people's minds and especially Zerubbabel's mind. Now think about him having to live in the shadow of his grandfather, who was a horrible king. And the questions that maybe he's asking going, man, what if I end up like him? What if, I don't want to, but what if I end up like him? What if, what if I can't do it? What if I can't lead these people? And to top it all off, here's Zerubbabel living in that shadow, the shadow of his grandfather, who was a horrible king. But also now he's back in God's city, Jerusalem, with God's people, and they're still under enemy rule. Nebuchadnezzar's no longer the leader, but now there's a new king in charge overseeing Israel. Not an Israel king, but a king of Persia named Darius. So they're still not a free people. And the walls are still torn down. So that means that at any point there could be another enemy invasion where a new enemy could come in and take them and make them slaves all over again. And the temple that he's in charge of, that he's to lead and rebuild, it's not looking as good as the first one. Right? And, and he's got all this stuff. He's got all these things going on. And it'd be easy for him to sit down or lie down at night, put his head on the pillow, and go, God, where are you? Where's the hope? I mean, I know we're back home, God, but we're still under enemy rule. The walls are torn down. This, this temple isn't looking anything like we wanted it to. It doesn't look anything like the first one. And, and, and these people around me, I can hear the whispers, the, the gossip. God, they're saying, man, if we hope Zerubbabel's not like his grandfather, if so we're doomed. I mean, God, all this, where are you? God, where's the hope? Have you ever been in that place? Have you ever asked that question? Or do you know someone that's in that place right now? If you've ever been there, right, that, that place where hope just seems lost. And as I said, it just the fog of discouragement or disappointment or whatever it might be just seems so thick. You, you just can't see the light. If you've ever been there, then this final message of God in this book of Haggai is for you. It's for that person that is desperate for hope. And, and I want to give us this final message, and then I want to unpack it for us. And here's the final message that I believe God is saying to his people through his prophet Haggai and saying to us today, and it's this, hope is alive. God's promise still stands. Hope is alive. God's promise still stands. Now let's unpack that. Haggai chapter 2, verse 20. Verse 20. Let's read verses. We'll read all the way to the end of the chapter, and then we'll come back. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. And God says, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. 
And on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheltiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Look at verse 20. It says that the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Now, the first time God spoke on that day, we read about back in verse 10. And so God spoke earlier in the day. And when he spoke the first time on that day, he really, his message was holiness matters. He looks at his people and says, listen, holiness matters. For you to experience my presence and for you to experience my blessing, holiness matters. That was God's message, his first message on that day, the 24th day of the ninth month. But now he's going to speak a second time. So what's he going to say this time? Look at verse 21. He says, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying. Now, this is unique. How so? Because he now wants to speak specifically only to Zerubbabel. Let's just call him Z. All right? He just wants to speak to Z. Now, every other time in this little book, he's speaking to a group of people. Sometimes it's Z and Joshua the high priest. Sometimes it's just to the community of God's people. Sometimes it's to all of them. Z, Joshua, all the community. But this time, God singles out Zerubbabel. And he said, I just just don't want to talk to him. I just want to speak to him and him alone, no one else. It's kind of like that time, if you have siblings, when your parents look at you and say, can we talk for a moment? And you're like, looking for your brother or sister. You want them to come too? And they're like, no, just you. I remember in high school, my parents are here this morning, and good to have them always with us. And, and so I remember in high school, um, I was way past my curfew at a friend's house. And at my friend's house, the phone rings at 1.30 in the morning. I'm like, man, who's calling their house at 1.30 in the morning? It was my dad calling my friend's house. He had no clue. I, I didn't think he knew where I was. He found out, as dads do, and he says, get home. I'm going home to die. And <laughs> so I don't know what it was like when, in your house growing up, but whenever we got in trouble, it seemed like everything was dark. <laughs> it was just dark. So I remember pulling up in our driveway in our Chevy Citation, little blue Chevy Citation. It was probably late 80s. And everything was, the porch light wasn't even on. I remember, and I don't know why, like, I just, I get out of the car, I'm like, I, I'm not sure what I'm going, what's going to happen to me at all. So I walk in the house, and it's like two in the morning at this point. And my mom is up too, which was surprising at that point, because, you know, they, and, which meant they were really concerned, but mad. And rightfully so. They had no clue where I was. I didn't tell them or anything. So I come in, no lights on in the house. None. And there's my dad, 6'3", sitting on the couch right there. I walk in. My mom's, I can, it's crazy. This is years ago, um, 30 years ago or so. And I remember my mom's to the right in the hallway, I think, and my dad's sitting on the couch, all dark. They don't say, I walk in. They don't say anything to me for a while, for a little bit. Then my mom starts to speak, right? And I don't remember what she said. All I remember, my dad saying, Nancy. Not now, right? And so mom left the room, and I'm left to die with my dad. So, and, and I will never forget that moment, right? And 
we just sat quietly in the dark, and I remember him saying, and this is one of the things I admire greatly about him. He, I knew he was mad. He said, we'll deal with this in the morning. Rather than express, I'm sure what he felt, he wanted to calm himself down. He said, we'll deal with this in the morning. I wonder what Zerubbabel, Z, I wonder what Z was feeling when God says, I just want to talk to you. I just want to talk to you. Is he thinking, uh-oh, did, what did I do? Am I like grandpa now? What did I do? What did I do? But I love this in, 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 in a unique way about God because to me it says that God is so personal. Right? He, sometimes he just, he, he wants to just talk to you. This is the God of the universe saying, I want to speak to Zerubbabel. I want to talk. I, I have something I need to tell him. So what's he going to say? What's he going to say? Well, we keep reading. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. What's God saying there? I think he's simply saying, I know it doesn't seem like it right now. I know it might seem like the walls are torn down. The threat of enemy evasion is coming, or it could come again. I know that the temple doesn't look anything like it used to. And I know it might seem like evil is winning right now. But hope is alive. Hope is alive. Because there's coming a day, Z, when I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. And I'm going to bring justice for evil. And it may not look like it. And the fog of the despair might seem really thick right now. But victory's coming. Freedom is coming. Hope is alive. And I think just as he said that to Z, he says that to us. Justice is coming. It's coming. Victory is coming. Freedom is coming. And what's that mean? It means hope is not lost. Hope is not dead. It is alive. Alive. I remember when our kids were born and, you know, Andrea, if you've ever seen Die Hard in, in labor, she reminds me of John McClane in Die Hard. I mean, I know that's not the most flattering thing in the world. But she is, like, so tough in, 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 in labor. Like, sorry, honey. <laughs> but that's what I was thinking about. I'm like, that's what she reminds me. She's just so tough in labor. And I'm like, suck it up. No pain, no gain. Is that all you got? No, I never said that. Um, <laughs> stop your crying. Um, no, I was pretty much passed out on the floor. Um, in fact, during one of the deliveries, I actually was standing on her IV cord like the IV thing, in the middle of labor. And I'm going to totally gross you out here, but you got to hear how bad I was in the delivery room. Um, you know, sometimes during delivery, you know, the wife, sometimes she, she gets sick. And that happened to Andrea at one point. And so I was there to receive the sickness in a bowl. And so... <laughs> so I was receiving the sickness in a bowl. And... And I received a sickness 
in the bowl at one point during the delivery, and I went to go empty the sickness, and I could tell that she was about ready to release more sickness. And so my reaction was, yeah, that happened in delivery. You, hospitals and I just are not, we're not good friends. We're just, but yeah, anyway, so, so yeah, where's I going with that? So, so, right, so she was very tough in, in, in delivering, and, and for obviously those that have, have, have given birth, I mean, you endure so much pain. Why? Because you know that in moments, hope is coming, right? In a moment, you get to hold hope in your arms. And I think in a lot of ways, that's what God is saying here to Z. He's saying, listen, I know, I know it might not feel like it or look like it, but hope is alive. Hope is coming. And then he goes on, and I think he tells Zerubbabel why hope is alive. And that's in verse 23. He says, on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. What's God saying there? He's saying, I'm going to take you, O Z, my servant, and I'm going to make you like a signet ring. Where did we hear that before? Right? His, his grandpa. God says, I'm, I'm going to make you, remember, the, like, your grandfather and how we took this, it was like, I took the signet ring off my finger as a sign of I'm removing him from the throne. What your grandfather lost, I'm going to restore through you. I made a promise to my people, and you can read about it back in 2 Samuel chapter 7. God says, I made a promise to my people, to King David, that I will always have a king from the family tree of David on the throne, always. And you may have thought that my promise was no longer. But I'm telling you, through you, Zerubbabel, my promise still stands. You know why hope is alive? God says, because my promise still stands. My promise is still good. And I'm going to fulfill my promise through you. Through you. Can you imagine if you're Z, what you're feeling in that moment? All, having to live in that shadow and, and having the weight of these people and caring for these people and rebuilding this temple and all of this and wondering, God, did, do you still care? Where's the hope? And if you're him and God's saying, listen, I have a plan for you and my plan is to fulfill my promise through you. My promise to my people through you. My promise that I made years ago. And God is saying, hope is alive, Zerubbabel, because my promise still stands. Still stands. And I love that. I was talking to my dad earlier this week on the phone. And, and I don't know, we talked for maybe 20 minutes or so, 30 minutes. And, you know, and we still say this today. I mean, after conversation, still have the blessing and the privilege of, you know, just talking to each other still. And, 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 and he'll always say, you know, and my mom, too, when we're talking on the phone, I love you. You know, I'm 45, you know, and to hear my dad still, you know, tell me that he loves me and say those words means so much to me. 
And, and I think in a lot of ways, that, that's maybe how Zerubbabel felt when he heard these words from God to him. I'm not done with you yet. I love you. And I'm going to do something amazing through you for my people. That victory, that freedom that I promise, it's coming. And it's going to actually come through you somehow. Can you imagine how he must have felt in that moment? And it's as if he's hearing God say to you, I love you. My promise still stands to you and to my people. Still stands. But there's a problem with the promise. Do you know what the problem is? The problem with this promise is that Zerubbabel never becomes king. We never read of him leading God's people to victory. We never hear of that, ever, because he didn't do it. So what, what's God saying here? Remember how we talked about how Genesis to Revelation is about one person, and that person's name is Jesus. It is here in verse 23 where we see Jesus. It's where we see Jesus. Because although God made the promise to Zerubbabel, he was going to fulfill it through a descendant of Zerubbabel. And that descendant's name is Jesus. So the king who's going to shake the heavens and the earth, the king who's going to bring justice for evil, the king who's going to bring freedom and victory over the darkness, that king's name is Jesus. How do we know that? Go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Luke, chapter 1. Verses 31 through 33. This is the birth announcement to Mary from the angel Gabriel. And if we pick it up in verse 30 of Luke chapter 1, the angel says, And behold, Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name, say it together, Jesus. You'll call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and we will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. It's over God's people, and of his kingdom there will be no end. No end. Jesus is the king from the line of David, whose kingdom will never end. He's the king. He's the one that God was thinking of when he made that promise to Z. And then if you go to the Gospel of Luke, stay there and go to chapter 3, verse 27. And we see the genealogy of Jesus, the human genealogy of Jesus. And you look at chapter 3, verse 27. And he gives this big list of names. And you have the son of Joanan, the son of Risa, the son of Zerubbabel the son of Shiltiel. And it goes on and on and on. And so here you have Zerubbabel in the human line of Jesus. And so when God looks at Z and he says, listen, my promise still stands. I'm going to fulfill my promise. He's saying, I'm giving this promise to you and I'm going to fulfill it through a descendant of you. 
And the descendant that's going to come from you is the Savior of the world. It's amazing. So when God makes that promise in Haggai chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, his final message is, hope is alive. Why? Because God says, my promise still stands. Why? Because Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Revelation chapter 19, turn there with me. And let's take a look at this king who's going to shake the heavens and the earth. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture when it refers to Jesus as the king. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. It says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. This is referring to Jesus. And in righteousness, that remember, dressed in righteousness, in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He's going to bring justice. He's going to bring victory. He's going to bring freedom. And he's going to tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. And that name is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When God makes this promise to Zerubbabel, he's seeing his son, Jesus, fulfill it. Jesus is the king wearing the ring of authority. He's the one from the line of Z that God was promising to come. He's the one who's going to shake the heavens and the earth, bring justice for evil, victory over the enemy, and freedom once for all. Because Jesus is the king. He's the king. And so what now? What's the next step? As we think about this promise, this this message of God to Zerubbabel, to us, a message that says hope is alive. God's promise still stands. Just a few thoughts as we think about next steps. And they're not so much things to do, but things that you are because of Christ, if you're here with Christ. And it's this, with Christ, you are not a product of your past, but a child of the King. You're not a product of your past, but a child of the king. God comes to rubble and he says, I have something for you. I have something for you. With Christ, you're not a product of your past. Your sins are forgiven. You're a child of the Lord if you know Christ is your Savior. With Christ, you're not isolated and alone. I'm sure Zerubbabel at times felt like, God, where's the hope? I could use some help. But because the rebel was leading in these people to build this temple, it reminds me that God, Christ, is building a new temple, his people, the church. You're not alone. You're not isolated. You're part of a people. You belong. Another promise that with Christ, you are not without purpose. You're not without purpose. Like with Zerubbabel, God leans down and he says to you, I have given you a purpose. I've saved you for a purpose. You are a masterpiece, Ephesians 2.10 says. And you have a purpose. And the purpose is 
to share the message that hope is alive. God's promises still stand in Christ. You have a purpose, church. We have a purpose. Paul wrote this in the book of Colossians, and I'm going to ask the band to come. He, he wrote this in the book of Colossians chapter 2. He says, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. Think about that. If you're here this morning, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, you are alive with Christ. You are not a product of your feelings. You are not a product of your past. You're not a product of what the enemy says about you. You are alive with Christ. For he forgave all your sins. Not just some of them, all of them. You are clean. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away. How? By nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. I love that. He shook the heavens and the earth, and he disarmed the rulers and authorities, the spiritual rulers and authorities. He says he shamed them publicly by how his victory over them on the cross. Amen. Someone said this, the death of Christ was not only a pardon, it also manifested might. This is getting me so pumped right now. I love this. It not only canceled a debt, it was a glorious triumph. The cross is a victory. And so do not let darkness, discouragement, despair rule. They do not have the final word. The cross has the final word. The cross has the final word. And so no matter how difficult it might get, that darkness in that person that you'd long to see surrender to Jesus, it might be thick, but the cross has the final word. And would you put your head on your pillow at night and the despair and the discouragement comes, remember God's promise. Hope is alive. God's promise still stands. And Jesus, he's king. He's king.